Welcome to Red Maryland Radio, the Red Maryland Network's flagship show. Here are your hosts, Brian Griffiths and Greg Klein. And welcome, everybody, to a brand new episode of Red Maryland Radio on the Red Maryland Network, coming to you live from the Red Maryland Command Bunker on the bucolic western shore of Maryland along the banks of the semi-historic Magazine River. You are listening to Maryland's trusted conservative voice, the only real conservative talk show happening on the Internet in Maryland. Red Maryland Radio here on the Red Maryland Network. I am your host, Brian Griffiths. Greg Klein is off tonight. He's off doing big lawyer stuff. Um, I think that's that's the that's the code that we're we're using for that here tonight. Anyway, he is on assignment, but you can catch him tomorrow morning at 7:50 a.m. on WGMD uh, 92.7 FM and WGMD.com. We got a lot to talk about here tonight. There was another Democratic debate. It just went off the air. If you are listening to us live, I salute you for not being asleep. But we will uh, we'll we'll get to the down and dirty on that here momentarily. You know, some people. Are ginning up controversy about Governor Hogan's recent vetoes. Did anybody actually notice, though? We'll talk about it here momentarily. Governor Hogan's got a new ad that has hit the airwaves, and we'll talk a little bit about that. And we're also going to talk a little bit about the political ramifications of the most recent elegant city flood. All that and more coming to you on this week's episode of Red Maryland Radio here tonight. I want to do a couple of housekeeping bits before we get too far down the pike. I do want you to know um, that we have uh, a debate of our own coming up. Um, we have a debate between the Republican candidates for the United States Senate, and that will be live three weeks from tonight. On Red Maryland Radio here on the Red Maryland Network. The debate will occur uh, three weeks from tomorrow night, excuse me, on Thursday, June the 21st at 8 p.m. All 11 United States Senate candidates have been invited to participate. So far, five candidates have confirmed Tony Campbell, Evan Cronhart, Nabu Ize, uh, Bill Krenbrink, and Blaine Young. There are six more candidates who are on the ballot. All have been invited to participate. So we hope all of them will have the opportunity to do so. Each candidate during that will have the opportunity to make an opening statement and a closing statement, and questions will be asked of individual candidates. And we do have a form open and available where readers and listeners can have the opportunity to submit their questions for us to use during the show. Okay, This is the only debate, the only forum um, that we are aware of that uh, that will have the opportunity to hear from all 11 U.S. Senate candidates. So we're really looking forward to that. We're looking forward to have the opportunity to make sure that people get the chance to make an informed decision before going to the ballot box on Election Day. So you can go to redmaryland.com for more information on that Senate candidates debate. And of course, uh, we will continue to promote that here in the coming weeks on redmaryland.com. 
Ticketmaster.com. I also want to remind you, of course, that tickets are on sale, or super early bird tickets are still on sale for the Red Maryland Leadership Conference that's coming up Saturday, January 26, 2019 at the Doubletree Hotel in Annapolis. Confirmed speakers, again, include Anne Arundel County Executive Steve Shu, Delegate Nick Kibke, Delegate Kathy Schlega, Senator Steve Hirschie, Senator J.B. Jennings, Andrew Langer from WBAL, Jerry Rogers from WBAL, and a whole lot more. For more information on that conference, to buy your tickets, go to redmarylandconference.com. That's redmarylandconference.com. And you will have the opportunity to buy your tickets for the Red Maryland Leadership Conference. So now, 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 let's talk about the debate. The debate tonight was on uh, – was <laughs> – so Channel 45 and Channel 7 were promoting the debate. Okay, Now, both of them are owned by Sinclair Broadcasting. So both Channel 7, WJLA in Washington, and Channel 45, WBFF in Baltimore were kind of co-promoting the debate. The, uh, the debate included Kai Jackson, who was the moderator uh, from Channel 45 in Baltimore, but also they had the local – the Maryland reporter from uh, Channel 7 in D.C., as well as one of the local reporters from Channel 45 in Baltimore actually doing the asking of the questions. Now, once again, like the last debate, this debate was taped. It seems like, however, they must have had people uh, – they, they must have told people to, to, to turn their phones off or turn their phones in or they throttled the Wi-Fi or, or they throttled the signal or something because it did not seem like a whole heck of a lot got out before this debate. But still, as I mentioned uh, last week as I wrote at RedMaryland.com, the campaign still had the opportunity to get out in front of this stuff in order to prepare their rebuttals, in order to prepare their social media strategy for, uh, for responding during the actual debate. So once again, the people of Maryland were unserved or served poorly, I should say, by having a debate that was only available on tape delay. The formatting of the debate was, it was absolutely ridiculous. You had a debate that went about 56 minutes, and you had nine – questions, or, or you had nine candidates on stage, which means each can, candidate got about six minutes worth of airtime or less once you factor in um, you know, once you factor in the, the, uh, the moderators asking the questions as well as uh, Kai Jackson trying to keep control of the room. The rebuttal rules were something <laughs> – it reminded me of the NFL, actually. It reminded me of the challenge flag. You get three rebuttals to use – three 30-second rebuttals to use during a uh, you know during the course of the debate, well, if all three if all candidates use all three of their rebuttals for thirty seconds, now you've <laughs> you, you've killed off fourteen minutes of time just in rebuttals. The rebuttals themselves turned into just an absolute train wreck because the rebuttals stopped being rebutting anything, and they basically just turned into a free thirty second opportunity for candidates either to you know, for for either candidates to to respond to the question that was already on there, to rebut, you know, to to talk about something else they forgot to do in their regular sixty seconds, or to talk about something completely different. Um, it was kind of like the old adage in professional wrestling, where people just don't care as long as they get their shit in, and that's basically what this was doing. Um, was that people just wanted to get their stuff in? They wanted to get their stuff in. They wanted to try to get themselves over uh, by any means necessary. So they basically just went out and. Uh, you know, they, they went out and said whatever they, they needed to say. 
Um, Ralph Jaffe, of course, was, was here today. Somebody should have bought the guy a tie. I know, I know Greg will get a kick out of that line only because the number of times that I have come to uh, events where um, Greg thinks that I am underdressed. However, I'm not appearing on statewide television running for governor. I might very well wear a tie too. Um, you know, or at the very least, if I'm not gonna, wasn't going to wear a tie, I wouldn't have buttoned my shirt all the way up. But that's another, that's a fashion statement for another day. The best troll job that I saw during the debate came before the debate. Right before the debate went on the air, Governor Hogan's ad, the one that we're going to talk about here later on, was uh, was broadcast, and it was a nice tone setter. You can hit something vaguely accurate um, and living in this real world before you got had to get too deep into the world of the Democratic Party gubernatorial clown show. <sighs> the debate itself was just – I tell you, man, it was just ridiculous. It was the same old shtick that it was last time. It was the same old shtick. Jim Shea was still the boring white guy. You know <sighs> – you still have, you know, Ben Jealous still was not capable of actually getting through his opening statement without walking all over his words. Though I'll say he did a much better job during the rest of the debate than he did during during the first debate. Rich Madalino still jumped up and down, proclaiming that he did all of these things. It's, it's like the guys running for Queen Anne's County Commissioner or something like that, you know, with that kind of with that kind of campaign. Rusher and Baker still wanted to talk about public schools, still wanted to talk about you know the leadership going on in Prince George's County, either oblivious to the fact that Prince George's County schools are a dumpster fire full of, uh, you know, full of full of sexual assaults and grade inflation, or oblivious to the fact of all the corruption that happened in Prince George's County on his watch, or just hoping that people didn't actually pay any attention and and notice uh, the difference. James Jones, who of course I said was the um, was the winner of the last debate. His opening statement was resolved around the fact that uh, – and I, I quote, the people have decided not to reelect you, he said to Governor Hogan, uh, which was a very interesting thing to say given the fact that basically every poll for the last three years says that uh, the Democrats no, – no Democrats, nobody really wants to wants – to, to, people don't really want somebody to be elected over, over Governor Hogan. Now, Alec Ross, again, looked like he belonged to the spelling bee. Um, you know that he should be at the Putnam County Spelling Bee as opposed to the debate. Um, meanwhile, by the way, you know there was actually we'll talk about this in a second, but there was, an, there was another event going on at the same time that we'll talk about, uh, and and I think that is something that that we really need to talk about. Schools, of course, were a big point of contention during this debate. Once again, the Democrats just picked up the ball and ran with it. The lie that schools are underfunded, you know, it, it's. Considering the fact that the teachers' union political hacks endorsed Ben Jealous, you would think that the uh, that some, at least one other Democrat running for governor would would stop drinking the MSEA Kool Aid, but that certainly hasn't stopped them. It certainly didn't stop Ben Jealous from claiming the endorsement from quote seventy five thousand teachers, which of course, when we actually know that it was actually two hundred and uh, two hundred and fifty five political hacks masquerading as union masquerading as union members. Uh, who who made that decision? Uh, I certainly know many a teacher who wants nothing to do with Ben Jealous uh, and Ben Jealous's brand of of socialism and inequality. Chris Vignaraja decided that she wanted to go all in for pot, which probably was one of the least surprising things. You know, the fact that Chris Vignaraja 
it wouldn't surprise you. Chris Bignarajic doesn't seem to understand or doesn't seem to want to follow the uh, the Maryland state constitution when it comes to eligibility. Her being a D.C. resident and losing her Maryland voter registration and all, making her constitutionally ineligible to be governor. But the fact that she would then grasp on to something like pot, illegal under federal law, certainly shouldn't surprise you. Later on during the debate, she went out and talked about you know, more strict gun laws because, hey, if she wants to ignore the state constitution when it comes to her eligibility requirements, why would she not want to ignore the federal constitution when it comes to your right to bear arms, particularly if you're a law-abiding citizen? I mean, good gravy, people. Um <sighs> Alec Ross <laughs> Alec Ross blaming mass incarceration on class size was an unusual tactic. Um that's that's the thing you could do. Rich Madalino again talking about fully funding schools completely hoping that you forget the past that he gave Governor O'Malley on when he forgot to fully fund GCEI, the Geographic Class of Education Index, or the fact that Madalino voted for billions of dollars of cuts to state spending, but you know, he just hopes that those um, you know, that's that just flies under the wall. And, you know, then it's just yeah, it just became they were just playing the hits over and over again, the same talking points as the last debate. Um, I gotta tell you the truth. You know, the end of the the end of the debate was absolutely goofy because you get to the last question. It was a question about Ellicott City. It's the only time that Ellicott City um, zoning, you know, you know, rebuilding Ellicott City even came up, and they were given a chance to rebut to, to answer the question. They were given twenty seconds apiece. I mean, that's <laughs> you can you know that. What's the point of even asking the question if you're only going to get twenty seconds to answer it? And you know the candidates did well, not really all that much with it. So, what do we ultimately make of the debate? Well, one, as I said, they played the hits. It's basically the same debate as it was last time. If you watched the last debate, the only difference between this debate and the last debate was that Ralph Jaffe was in living color and present at the debate, as opposed to getting kind of tacked on to the end with a random series of questions added completely out of context. Um, I, I got to admit the debate format was just garbage. It was just completely useless. Yeah, these candidates need an hour and a half, okay? And I know I was, I was pissing and moaning at the beginning of the show about how bad the debate was, but they need an hour and a half. <laughs> you know, it's it's you can't you can't debate nine people or have a debate of nine people in an hour. Uh, it's got to be an hour and a half. And yeah, I get it. That's only an extra couple of minutes a person. But that would certainly possibly give them – give the candidates a better opportunity than saying me too at almost every uh, – you know, at every conceivable time. I think the other thing too is the fact that this debate surprised me a little bit, and it surprised me because of how little acrimony – there was between the campaigns. Ben Jealous actually used one of his rebuttals to talk about the fact that Valerie Urban's name should appear on the ballot in her own right, uh, as opposed to appearing with that of, of you know having to, to vote for Kevin Cabinet in order to vote for Valerie Irving. Now, again, that's something that I talked about last week, something that I agree with 100%. But this is, this is a debate that took place 27 days, less than four weeks before the primary election date, 
and something to the effect of less than two weeks or about two and a half weeks before early voting starts. People are going to start voting real soon, and people are going to have absolutely no idea what it is um, – you know, have absolutely no idea what it is that they're what these candidates stand for. Um, they have absolutely uh, no idea what the difference is between the candidates. They have not differentiated themselves, and they have not been able to really break out of the pack. Of the pack, um, they just they just can't. They just can't do it. They keep talking to the same voters. They keep ta- you know, living in the same democratic bubble, and none of them can catch fire. None of them have really stood out from the crowd, and none of them have done any differently. And I thought – I really thought that this close to the primary that we were going to start to see a mixed up a little bit. You saw some of the nonsense that went on. Last week, and, and the who struck John stuff with Ben Jealous did this, and Ben Jealous tried to keep Valerie Irvin off the ticket, and Ben Jealous tried to do X, Y, and Z. And, 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 and yeah, none of it was really important stuff. None of it was really controversial. None of it was something that probably hasn't happened in a thousand elections um, from time immemorial. But I was really thought that there might be, you know, that the candidates might actually show some some ba- some backbone, might actually, you know, show some chops and and actually start to throw some body blows. And you know, Greg and I have been talking about this for quite a while now. We've been talking about it um, from the perspective of, you know, how long, you know, this this campaign is going to get ugly. This campaign is going to get brutal, and that they're going to finally start really throwing elbows sometime after the general assembly session. Well, the general assembly has been out of session for a month and a half now, and the elbows, other than you know, other than minor pissing contests on the internet, there really hasn't been a whole lot of sharp elbows thrown. Even the TV commercials are relatively pedestrian in their nature. Even their TV commercials are really focusing on name identification and trying to get people to recognize who these people are, recognize the fact that they're actually candidates, more so than actually taking shots at each other. Again, I don't know what's happening in the direct mail space. Okay, I am certainly not on any Democratic primary election direct mailing lists you know, as, as a, somebody who has voted in every you know voted in every election voted in every Republican primary for the last twenty years. Okay, I'm not getting their stuff. I'm not seeing it on social media. Okay, I'm not seeing what's going on behind the scenes. I mean, even even the Twitter people, you know, the real, um, you know, the the real um, the the real Twitter. Um, Aficionados, the 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 self-proclaimed surrogates, aren't really throwing a lot of body blows with each other. The only time, every here and there, you talk about people, you know, people talk about Chris Rigonaraja being constitutionally ineligible, but um, you know, other than that, there's not a lot happening. Even tonight during the debate, a lot of the discussion was focused on, you know, there was a lot of Hogan discussion, there was a lot of Trump discussion. That was the other thing too. I think that really kind of kind of got me a little bit was the fact that the very first question started was talking about the racial divide here in Maryland, which is not an altogether unfair question, but it was couched in the terms of the Roseanne debacle from yesterday as if as if we don't have some better things to talk about 
than a canceled television show. Oh, by the way, that includes you too, conservative. You guys should certainly not be sticking up for that lunatic Roseanne Barr. Um, but again, it was just kind of an off kilter debate. I, you know, I know that there's one on Monday. I'll be out of town, so I probably will not be able to watch it. I'm sure Greg will have extensive coverage of it um, next week on on next week's episode of Red Maryland Radio. But I'm telling you, the de- there was not a lot of there there tonight, and um, you know that the the only people who really won the debate tonight were the people who didn't watch the debate tonight. That's 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 all I got. One of the other things that came up today, which was which was absolutely hilarious, um, was the fact that there was a um, there was apparently a form, okay, apparently a a the the B form, okay, B E E form, and this was an an, an outfit, uh, a forum that was put on by the by Baltimore for Educational Equality, okay. And these folks had a um, you know, these folks had a a forum tonight with the candidates for governor. Some of the pictures coming out of it looked like there were more you know candidates on the stage than there were attendees, but that's not another story. Yeah, that's another story. But this this popped up on Twitter today. It's actually, it's totally insane. Um, a fellow by the name of Dave Helliker, okay, a guy who tweets. Under the handle at Charm Gritty. Okay, he says Baltimore versus everybody. I can't believe we're giving you know credence to a guy with like 154 Twitter followers, but what the hell, right? This is an actual conspiracy theory that actually exists on the internet, and this is a thread he put out on Twitter today. I'm not a conspiracy guy, and if that you know if that doesn't turn your Alex Jones signal on right there, that should uh, that that should. That should be there for you. I'm not a conspiracy guy, but it's no coincidence that We Are Sinclair is televising a weeks-old MDGov debate on the same night as a live one in my Baltimore. Now, the debate was filmed this afternoon, so clearly Mr. Helliker has absolutely no idea what the hell he's talking about, but let's move on. The narrative right now is that it's not an exciting group. Fact check true. But the drama level of the MD Gov race has literally hit pro wrestling levels of excitement. You should come to this event tonight and see. Seemingly nobody came to this event, and this race is pretty much the antithesis of exciting. And as a pro wrestling fan, I am absolutely insulted that somebody would compare this dumpster fire of a governor's race to the sport and beauty of professional wrestling. It's a win-win for Sinclair. If no one watches the old debate, the bad ratings prove that no one is excited about this race. If no one shows up to the live debate, Snapchat and Inspix of an empty forum prove a lack of excitement. In marketing, this is called Born to Die. It's a strategy where you invest in destroying a competitor's product with a confusing, somewhat similar product that exists in the same niche. This debate has been planned for weeks. (laughs) This debate has been planned for weeks, and the candidates probably cared a hell of a lot more about the debate that was actually on television as opposed to a forum in front of like 12, 12 people you know, in a room somewhere. Interestingly, tonight's forum is focusing on the Kerwin Commission, which Baltimore Sun has called the most critical topic of the election cycle. Again, 
not the most critical topic this election cycle. There have actually been stories written about how the Democratic focus on education is probably actually going to hurt them in the general election given the fact that while people care about education, it's not necessarily the first issue on the minds of a lot of voters. Finally, another reason we are Sinclair would work to split audience away. Don't let them. The right are only better at marketing because we fall for it embarrassingly and consistently. <laughs> I, I think that this guy went to some place that pot was legal because that's really the only way that you can come up with this kind of facacta piracy theory. Um, I mean, I mean, really, I mean, it's it's kind of, um, you know. <laughs> You know what I should have done? I should have played this. I should have played. I should have played the. Um, you know, for those of you who, of course, know this, it was used as the as the coast to coast theme song um, on on Art Bell's Coast to Coast. This this is like tinfoil hat UFO conspiracy stuff. Okay, this is nuts. Um, I don't. If if Sinclair really really wanted people to not watch. The debate, they probably wouldn't have agreed to host the debate on their airwaves. Um, they, <laughs> they, they certainly wouldn't have cared all that much about a forum that literally nobody attended. Um, <laughs> thousands more people watched the debate, as bad as it was, than probably than than a bunch of people sitting in the room listening to lies about how education is underfunded in the state of Maryland. I mean, this just. <sighs> <laughs> oh man, you gotta love it. You gotta love it. There, there are people of all stripes in this state, and if there are tinfoil hat conspiracy types who think that Sinclair Broadcasting went out of their way to, um, you know, that Sinclair Broadcasting went out of their way to try to take attention away from their forum. <sighs> I mean, I don't, I don't even know what to do with them. I, I, well, maybe I do know. Delete, 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 delete. Maybe that's what we just have to do with it. I don't know. But if you didn't, so basically, the the too long didn't watch version of the debate tonight is the fact that if. Um, you know, is is the fact that if you didn't watch, you were probably better for it. That's really all I got. Okay, if you didn't watch, you were better for it. What we're gonna do now for you is that we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about controversy, um, controversy, quote unquote, regarding the uh, regarding some vetoes by Governor Hogan. You're not gonna want to miss this. Stick with us. You're listening to Red Maryland Radio on the Red Maryland Network. In a world where drinking and driving is a serious offense, you could spend time in jail and lose your license. You need experienced legal representation. You need the litigator. For two decades, Greg Klein has been representing individuals charged with drunk driving throughout Maryland, and he is coiled and ready to pounce to help you. If you or someone you know has been charged with drinking and driving, contact the litigator, Gregory M. Klein. At 410-541-6DUI. That's 410-541-6384. And check out the blog for more information at arundeldui.com. 
you can help Red Maryland grow our reach. When you visit redmaryland.com and click on the Amazon link and shop as normal, a portion of your purchase will come back to Red Maryland to help us grow. Additionally, you can buy Red Maryland t-shirts, drinkware, and other gear from our Zazzle store at zazzle.com slash redmaryland. We want to hear from you. Email us at any time at redmaryland at gmail.com. You can also leave audio feedback on our Red Maryland talkback line at 410-205-4875. We might use your feedback on our programming. You are listening to Maryland's most trusted conservative voice, the Red Maryland Network. Be sure to follow Red Maryland on all of the major social networking sites. You can follow us at Red Maryland on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Google+, Snapchat, and Tumblr to get the latest from Red Maryland. And be sure to follow the home base for all things Red Maryland, redmaryland.com. Celebrating five years as Maryland's only network that matters. You're listening to the Red Maryland Network. Here, Red Maryland Radio on the Red Maryland Network. I am your host, Brian Griffiths. Um, Greg Klein is on assignment here this evening. Oh, yeah, I want to talk about the Roseanne thing for a second, okay? Um, and, and I don't want to talk too much about the Roseanne thing just because every every take on the Roseanne thing is dumb. And I think maybe that's the only thing I want to say on the Roseanne thing is the fact that the Roseanne thing is dumb. Roseanne's a conspiracy theorist. She ran – remember, we're talking about – if you're defending Roseanne right now, you're defending somebody who ran for president on a radical left-wing platform with Cindy Sheehan as her vice presidential running mate just six years ago. Okay? She's, she's a racist. She's a conspiracy theorist. She's a 9-11 truther. She's a nut. What the hell are you doing defending her? Uh, and, and I don't care about the what about what about herism. Yeah, I know that Keith Olbermann's a piece of garbage too, and the ABC still employs him. I understand that the view is still garbage and that they still employ the folks who are on the view. Not the hill you want to die on, okay? Not the hill you want to die on. So now let's talk about vetoes, some of Governor Hogan's vetoes. Um, headline, this is this is, and by the way, okay, look, these bills were always going to be vetoed by Governor Hogan, okay? So there, that was that was never within doubt. Was it strategic that Governor Hogan chose to veto the bills on a Friday afternoon, on a, you know, right before the Memorial Day holiday? Eh, I'll leave it up to you, or on the Thursday rather before the Memorial Day holiday. I'll leave it up to you. Regardless, the headline is: Maryland Governor Larry Hogan vetoes bills pushed by teachers' union. This is our friend Aaron Cox. Governor Larry Hogan vetoed three bills Thursday, calling them, quote, a crude attempt to dilute accountability in Maryland public schools. Two of the bills were backed by the Maryland State Education Association, the state's largest teachers union, and a frequent target of Hogan's ire. Again, go to redmaryland.com. You can search about the MSEA and learn all about how, you know, how bigoted they are against teachers that don't fall in line, about how they're making you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars basically being Democratic activists, and how the 
main goal of the MSCA is not promoting the interest of teachers, parents, and students, but promoting the interests of the ever-encroaching left-wing Maryland Democratic Party. The legislation would have changed the composition of the Maryland Board of Education to include two teachers and a parent, made it possible for more school supervisors to join the union, and made it harder to fire hundreds of political employees at the State Department of Education. Hogan's next veto of the bills is final because it's the last year of the four-year term, and the next General Assembly session doesn't have the capability of overriding them. It's a shame, isn't it? It's truly a shame. The Republican governor said the bills follow, quote, an unfortunate litany of attempts by state lawmakers to reshape education policy. Hogan used his four-page veto letter to criticize lawmakers for not passing bills he pushed to create an investigator general to look into school systems and to criticize other legislation he vetoed in the past. Democratic-dominated General Assembly overrode those vetoes. It is shocking to me, as well as the citizens of Maryland, the lengths that the General Assembly will go to weaken accountability that will hurt the performance of our school children, Hogan said. Bravo. Governor Hogan. The state's largest teachers union issued a statement calling Hogan partisan for vetoing the legislation that required him to appoint teachers who would have been recommended by the union and a parent to the state school board. This is my favorite part of the of the of the Democratic whining and bitching about the governor's vetoes of this bill. They called the governor's veto of the bill partisan. The governor's veto of a bill which would have basically ensconced forever two radical left-wing Democratic union activists would be sitting on the state board of education. The Democrats – this is great. The Democrats in the General Assembly and the teachers union wanted to create partisan carve-outs for the teachers union on the state board of education. Is there anything, by the way, that the Democrats passed in 2018 that more shows how the Democrats know Governor Hogan is going to be reelected than that nonsense bill? It's the very definition of common sense that teachers should be at the decision-making table when developing policies that affect our students, MSCA President Betty Weller said in a statement. Governor Hogan is sending a very clear message. He doesn't believe teachers should have a voice in decisions about our schools, students, and profession. No, he's not saying that at all. He's actually saying that, the, that a democratic partisan organization like the Maryland State Education Association should not get a permanent say in deciding who gets to sit on the state board of education. This is kind of very similar, by the way, to the original bill, the original school, uh, school board nomination commission bill that was passed here in Anne Arundel County, which of course was devised by, quote, Republican, unquote, John Leopold which provided seats at the table for many union groups um, and for the governor as well and deciding who gets to sit on the Anne Arundel County Board of Education. It was a partisan carve-out designed to win votes. This thing is absolute and total garbage. The bill was always absolute and total garbage. Okay, There was never a reason, never a reason at all for these bills to pass. There was never a reason – for these bills um, to, to, to even see the light of day, the only reason these bills ever saw the light of day is because you have a radical left-wing partisan general assembly that knows that the Democratic candidates for governor are terrible and can't beat him. Now, there's been a lot of noise that's been made, a lot of people 
screaming up and down, saying, oh, these these vetoes show that the governor is weak and the governor is vulnerable and that the people, the, the voters, are going to see through this outrage. Come on, man. <laughs> Come on. You don't actually think that, do you? I, I, I know that if you're listening to this show, you probably don't think that. But I, I find it hard to believe that anybody in their right-thinking mind would actually believe that voters give one crap about the bills that were vetoed by the governor. Okay, I'm pretty sure that not a single person outside of the Maryland State Educators Association gives one damn about – Making it possible for school supervisors to join the union. I don't think that one person outside of the MSCA leadership gives one damn about making it harder. Uh, you know, the governor doesn't want to make it harder to fire political appointees in the Department of Education. Oh, by the way, I still can't believe we're still fighting this political appointees fight 13 years, 15 years rather, after Governor Ehrlich became governor, and the Democrats suddenly realized that people who hold positions at will that serve at the pleasure of the governor may lose their jobs if there's a Republican governor. That's basically still an extension of this fight going on, you know, fifteen years, you know, fifteen years later. And you know what? I don't think people care one bit about the makeup of the Maryland State Board of Education. What people care about is the makeup of their local board of education. Okay? Because again, more most school policy that goes into place is put forth at the local level. That's where folks want to have influence. That's where folks who are you know see the day-to-day influence of their county board of education, and that's the place where voters in most counties have the opportunity to vote for who it is they want to sit on their state board of education. That's where the action is, okay? Nobody cares about the State Board of Election, with all due respect to our friend Andy Smerick, nobody really cares one bit about the about the State Board of Election, okay? I mean, State Board of Education, rather, okay? That's just basic, just basic politics. It's basic policy. If the Democrats want, if the union wants, I, they're really the same thing, aren't they? Do they really want to make this the hill that they want to die on, let them. I mean, seriously, seriously. If this is the hill that they want to die on, please, pretty please, get your candidates to make this a centerpiece of the campaign. If I was the MSCA, and I'm not because I'm not a left-wing hack who puts partisan politics over the theoretical reason for his job existing… I would be a lot more concerned about what's coming down the pike from the Supreme Court. And I'm just, this is a good time to bring this up because I think that we're going to see here in Maryland, you're going to see a massive sea change in the power of the teachers' union. You, know, you even heard, as I said earlier, you heard in the debate tonight where Ben Jealous was claiming the support of 75,000 teachers when probably fewer than 500 of them actually support the guy, but claiming the power of 75,000 teachers. Uh, who, quote, endorsed, unquote, him um, and his campaign. And one of the reasons why the MSCA can claim 75,000 members has to do with the fair share fee. Several years ago, probably decades ago at this point, the General Assembly passed a bill 
that says that teachers don't have to join the teachers union, but if they don't join the teachers union, they still have to pay what basically amounts to dues to the teachers union. Now, of course, the argument from the teachers union is that this is only fair because they're negotiating the contract on behalf of all of the teachers. But teachers, correctly, think it's unfair because basically their money is going to fund um, the Democratic political Democratic Party. Okay. Now, they are, now the union makes the argument, oh well, it's not can't, the money can't go to partisan activities. But you and I both know, much like the federal funding that goes to Planned Parenthood under the Hyde Amendment doesn't legally fund abortions. The fact that they that money is freed up. To do other things can legally fund abortions, much like the money that's freed up from these fair share fees can legally be transferred over to political activities. You're basically forcing Republican teachers to fund you – know, to, to donate to their opponents, which of course is unconstitutional and wrong. It's immoral too, but that certainly didn't stop the Democrats from imposing it. Well, more than likely, just based on some of the scuttlebutt we've seen around the Supreme Court, some of the other cases that the Supreme Court has decided on already here um, you know, during during this term, more than likely, more than likely, the Democrats are going to lose that case. More than likely, the Democrats are going to see that their meal ticket, the teachers' union, is going to lose a lot of members because a lot of people, a lot of teachers who wouldn't otherwise be members. … of the teachers' union join the union for a couple of reasons. One, because they still have the opportunity to get malpractice insurance in case there is a case that comes against them. But secondly um, – and, but and secondly, um, it also gives the opportunity to um, – you know, it, it also gives the opportunity um, for them to – you know, but but also if they're already paying the fee, there's really no reason for them not to be a member of the union at that point. Um, so you're going to see once the fair share fee is found to be unconstitutional, you're going to see a lot of money. You're going to see a lot of members leave the union. And it's going to be an absolutely beautiful, beautiful thing because that's one of the reasons why the Democrat that the that the teachers union um, that the teachers union claims as much quote power unquote as they have, and that's um, you know, and and that's because um, you know, and, and that's because you have all these teachers who are already basically forced into paying union dues anyway, being members of the union. You may see. Um, quite a few people just drop out of the union, and it will be a glorious thing indeed. One other thing that was glorious, kind of switching gears here, another thing that was absolutely glorious was the fact it was Governor Hogan's first campaign commercial. It was a one-minute commercial. As I mentioned earlier, it was the uh, – it aired immediately before the debate, at least it did on Channel 54 um, up, here in, you know, up here in Baltimore. And I don't think I ever finished my thought about that, how I noted that Channel 5 – Channel 7 in Washington, Channel 45 in Baltimore were promoting the debate, but the debate actually aired on Channel 54 in Baltimore and on News Channel 8, a cable channel 
in in Washington, just again showing the complete lack of service that our, our TV stations are giving to people who are actually trying to find that information about our candidates. But the commercial's one minute long. It talks about all the the, the things that Governor Hogan's done, um, you know, about repealing the rain tax, talking about rolling back tax and toll increases, about his fight against cancer, about the work he did in trying to help Baltimore after the riots. I mean, it's a it's a tour de force. Governor Hogan's first four years in office, and it's it's fantastic. It's a fantastic thing. The fact that the governor can go on the air with a one minute spot in both markets. Because he, he has just such – as we talked about last week, he has such an overwhelming superiority, an overwhelming financial advantage over the, uh, you know, over the, the Democratic opponents that he's running against, some of which who can't even get on um, – you know, can't even get onto the uh, – you know, can't even get on the air on, on broadcast television. Um, you know, it's, it's a great ad, and – it's one that helps rebuild the governor's name ID. It lets him set the narrative, and he can do all of this stuff without needing a Democratic opponent. And hell, at this point, he might be able to run a positive campaign all the way through without ever once mentioning his Democratic opponent. Because again, his poll numbers are so overwhelmingly fantastic right now. <coughs> Excuse me. There was an article, um, an op-ed, I believe. In the Sun today, um, Maryland's governor's race. Let the ad campaign begin, and it kind of talks a little bit about the. Uh, it talks a little bit the uh, the ad, and and kind of some of all the ads that are going on. Maryland's gubernatorial campaign has been going on for a long time, with candidates bearing at forums, house parties, and other events from one corner of the state to there for more than a year. With less than a month to go until the primary, things are getting serious. How can you tell? The sleeping giant that is the Larry Hogan re-election campaign just woke up. It's not that Mr. Hogan has been inattentive to the challenge of trying to become the first Republican to win a second term as Maryland governor since Theodore McKeldin. He's been walking a finely calibrated line in managing his relationship with a profoundly unpopular Republican president. During the last legislative session, he embraced causes important to the state's Democratic majority, uh, and he's made full use of the power of his office to bolster his standing, for example, by traveling to the Bay Bridge to announce an end to Easy Pass fees right before Memorial Day weekend. And he's been raising money, lots and lots of money. So much money, he was able to start buying television airtime in both the Baltimore and Washington media markets for a minute-long ad this week, and given the money he already has and the pace at which he's raising it, could probably continue to do so until the November election. We could, we could quibble with some of the details of the claims Maryland, Mr. Hogan makes in his ad. Maryland wasn't nearly the hellscape he describes before the last election. Yes, yes, it was, actually. That's why everybody was trying to leave, a point that was made in the ad. Nor is his record on tax rushing quite as impressive he makes it sound. The same guy who stood in the pouring rain to accompany Mr. Hogan's misleading 2014 ads about Maryland stormwater management fee is back for an encore in 2018. It wasn't misleading, but this is the sun. You just got to play along. But the broad themes reflect what made Mr. Hogan successful in the last election and have kept him popular since. Maryland was looking for a change, and Mr. Hogan has provided it without excessive partisan conflict. His presence in Baltimore after the 2015 riots was reassuring, and the successful battle with cancer really did deepen his bond with people across Maryland. Mr. Hogan's initial ad is, essentially, a bet on the proposition that people are happy with the direction of the state and aren't looking for change or even particularly for new ideas. It's an effort to frame the election as a referendum on the incumbent, not as a contest between him and a Democrat. In contrast to his approach four years ago, he doesn't even use the word Democrat in the ad, even the parts describing job losses and tax hikes before he arrived in Annapolis. 
completely fair to evaluate the Democrats running against Mr. Hogan based on their campaign ads. Many of them have spelled out detailed agendas and policy papers posted on their website, and increasingly they are using social media to communicate with voters. But despite the fragmentation of the media landscape and technology that allows viewers to skip ads, television commercials remain the most prominent way nearly all campaigns communicate their message. It's certainly where they tend to spend most of their money. Consequently, such ads tend to be telling about the nature of the election and how candidates perceive the mood of the electorate. The ads produced by the Democrats running for the chance to oppose them reflect the difficult tasks they face. Most had little name recognition at the start of the campaign, and they all have to start out by introducing themselves to the voters. Attorney Jim Shea's first campaign ad is almost entirely biographical, highlighting his experience as an attorney, as chairman of the Board of Regents, as a transit advocate. Russian Baker is the good fortune of U.S. Senator Chris Van Holland to provide an introduction. His first ad curiously parallels Mr. Hogan's. And that it says Prince George's County was deeply troubled before he showed up. Certainly a defensible proposition, but has turned the corner under his leadership. Certainly not a defensible proposition. Former Obama administration official Chris Vignaraja is not subtle about pitching her potentials of women to provide a perspective that's missing in Maryland. But she also highlights an immigrant story that runs from her parents' arrival of $200 to her position advising Michelle Obama. But of course, it didn't talk about how she's constitutionally ineligible to serve as governor. Author and entrepreneur Alec Ross achieves a similar effect in an online ad that chronicles his rise from Western New Cold Country to the Obama administration. Senator Rich Manolino runs through his resume of accomplishments as a member of the General Assembly, including work on gun control, which is horrid, funding Planned Parenthood, which is worse, and providing school lunches for more children, the ones that he didn't help fund Planned Parenthood to kill. Ben Jealous' first ad focuses on his leadership at the NAACP and his work on key local issues, including marriage equality, Ending the democratic penalty – that's ending the death penalty, rather, and passing Maryland's version of the DREAM Act. By the way, if you look at left wing, the left-wing section of Maryland's internet, you will see a lot of people who take some umbrage with Ben Jealous's classification as to what he's actually doing. Most of the Democrats don't offer an agenda that's anywhere near as specific as the anti-tax message that propelled Mr. Hogan to office in 2014. Mr. Shea's first ad makes only cursory reference to a desire to improve education. Mr. Baker does the same, plus mentions his blueprint for health care. Mr. Ross leads the pack in the use of the word new but while enthusiastically claiming the need for fresh ideas. But for specifics, all he says is coding classes for elementary school children. Ms. Vignaraja says in her ad that states with women in government have better schools, better health care, and lower incarceration. How? She does not say. Mr. Madalino is somewhat more specific, promising to add to $15 minimum wage and, quote, fully fund our schools. Mr. Jealous mentioned that as something of an outlier in its policy ambitions, if not necessarily specifics. Four years ago, Mr. Hogan ran against one-party control of Annapolis, and eight years before that, Martin O'Malley defeated a sitting governor by attacking his effectiveness and values. This time around, the challengers are all over the map in their answers to the question of why voters should reject a second term for Hogan. What it all boils down to is this. Governor Hogan knows exactly who he is and why he's running, and most Marylanders do. In case they don't, he's got the resources and focus to remind them. At this point, none of the Democrats can match that. If anyone is going to emerge in this primary to present a real challenge to the incumbent, he or she is going to have to change that fast. Mr. Hogan clearly isn't going to sit around and wait for them to figure it out. Hey, by the way, not for nothing, that is about as close um, – that's about as close as you're ever going to get to a Baltimore Sun endorsement of Larry Hogan, okay? Just just going to throw that out there. Um, ain't nobody, ain't nobody done anything that looks even remotely close to a winning campaign strategy. And I want to go back to something, actually, um, that was written here at Red Maryland, and 
a long time ago. Specifically, um, you know, specifically it goes back to what, you know, to what some of the stuff that Greg wrote about right after the election um, you know, as to how Governor Hogan um, – you know, was was able to win, okay, and why they should take the advice. His election campaign at this point goes back to something that we talked about in the week after his, um, you know, in, in the week after his election victory in 2014, okay. That if Governor Hogan can run on the campaign promise of promises, uh, the campaign slogan of promises made, promises kept, then he'll have no problem in getting reelected. And here we are all these years later. His first ad basically follows that theme, and none of the candidate pains, none of the candidacies so far have made us think any differently uh, about his, prop, his prospects for victory as well as um, whether or not they have any chance to be meaningful candidates come the general election. While we go ahead and take a break, we'll talk about Ellicott City on the flip side of the break. Stick with us. You are listening to Red Maryland Radio on the Red Maryland Network. You know, getting caught for a DUI is something that can happen to anyone. A simple mistake that can have serious lifelong consequences for the person who commits the offense. That's why if you're caught driving under the influence, you should have the best attorney standing up for you, protecting your rights. Gregory M. Klein is that attorney, a lawyer with a track record of strong defense for those arrested for DUI. If you need a lawyer, call 410-541-6DUI or visit annarundeldui.com. Gregory M. Klein, 410-541-6384. Thank you for listening to the Red Maryland Network, Maryland's most trusted... You can help Red Maryland grow our reach when you visit redmaryland.com and click on the Amazon link and shop as normal. A portion of your purchase will come back to Red Maryland to help us grow. Additionally, you can buy Red Maryland t-shirts, drinkware, and other gear from our Zazzle store at zazzle.com slash redmaryland. We want to hear from you. Email us at any time at redmaryland at gmail.com. You can also leave audio feedback on a Red Maryland Talkback line at 410-205-4875. We might use your feedback on our programming. You are listening to Maryland's most trusted conservative voice, the Red Maryland Network. Be sure to follow Red Maryland on all of the major social networking sites. You can follow us at Red Maryland on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Google+, Snapchat, and Tumblr to get the latest from Red Maryland. And be sure to follow the home base for all things Red Maryland, redmaryland.com. Celebrating five years as Maryland's only network that matters, you're listening to the Red Maryland Network. In a world where drinking and driving is a serious offense, you could spend time in jail and lose your license. You need experienced legal representation. You need the litigator. For two decades, Greg Klein has been representing individuals charged with drunk driving throughout Maryland, 
and he is coiled and ready to pounce to help you. If you or someone you know has been charged with drinking and driving, contact the litigator, Gregory M. Klein, at 410-541-6DUI. That's 410-541-6384. And check out the blog for more information at arundeldui.com. Once that water gets into the system, um, 
you know, once that water gets into the drainage basin, it's got nowhere to go a lot of the times. And that's often that's what happens, you know, what happens in Ellicott City. Now, one of the reasons there's quite there's a couple of reasons why Ellicott City has now flooded 15 times in the last 250 years, okay? And you know, a lot of it has to do with that training of of rain, but sometimes it's got to do with I mean, there was they Sun wrote about the dry flood of 18 um, 1872, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, where never not not a single drop of rain occurred in Ellicott City, and they still had one of the more devastating floods that they've had in in the city history. But the way the topography of Ellicott City is is that you've got a city that basically is on a hill, okay, and it's on a hill. The lower parts of the city are on you know, low lying ground in a river valley that's flooded time and time again, and will continue to flood. Time and time again. Part of the problem, you know, part of the problem, yes, with Ellicott City is the fact that you have these impervious services. Okay, part of the problem with Ellicott City goes back to when they decided to build the city, you know, basically over the tributaries of the Patapsco, the Tiber, Tiber Creek, and some of these other creeks. They basically built the city on top of them. So instead of having a normal quote unquote sized channel. For the water to go, um, you're basically boxing it into a tunnel, and that creates all sorts of backups and other problems. And you have water coming up from basements, and you know water spilling out into the street, and a thousand other problems that happen in Ellicott City on on Saturday, um, Sunday rather. So, part you know, the problem when we start talking about some of the impervious surfaces and some of the, the topography and some of the in some of these things um, is the fact that the water has no place to go and none of that is the fault of anybody who's living right now or anybody who's in government right now but that sure as hell didn't stop democrats like bill ferguson state senator from baltimore city from trying to spike the football, from trying to blame, um, you know, trying to blame Governor Hogan for this flood. I mean, it's appalling. It's disgusting. It's sickening that somebody who's never had a real job like Bill Ferguson would blame Governor Hogan for that, you know, for that flood. That somebody would blame Governor Hogan for not doing enough, quote unquote. Over the course of the last 22 months to mitigate the flood control problems in Baltimore City uh, – excuse me, Ellicott City, and there have been flood problems in Ellicott City for 200 and some years. There have been two rain events over the last 20, 24 months, 22 months that have been one in a thousand type events, Okay, but they happen. They, there's a chance it could happen again this weekend. Okay. Not to alarm you, but I mean the, the same weather setup is in place. You could still see heavy isolated rain amounts of, of you know four, five, six inches over one area. And yeah, some places it's not gonna you're not gonna see what happened in Ellicott City because the topography is different. Same thing that happened in Frederick, where you have the Monocacy and the creeks and the rivers and everything else. It's just sometimes you're got you get the bad end of the stick and the natural disaster happens. But to blame Governor Hogan for this is just either ignorance, stupidity, or willful political malpractice. I mean, that's just, you know, 
Governor Hogan does not have any control over zoning up the hill in Ellicott City. A lot of the zoning problems, the impervious surface problems that are there, one, were there a long time before Governor Hogan even thought about running for governor. And second, none of it would have changed if the rain tax was stayed in the place. That was the other thing, too, that some Democrats were getting into. Oh, well, if the governor hadn't repealed the rain tax, then you know, we wouldn't have this problem. Well, one, Howard County's never got around to repealing the rain tax okay? because they have four Democrats on their county council who want to tax the rain. Okay, So that's not a problem. That's not an issue in, in this instance in Howard County. But you have to be either woefully ignorant or think that the voters are stupid in order to blame Larry Hogan for this. Okay, Bottom line. Now, there are going to be some people who I'm sure are going to try to politicize this issue. I'm sure that in the Howard County executive's race that the eventual Democratic nominee is going to try to attack Alan Kittleman for this. Like it's his fault that two one-in-a-thousand-chance floods happened while he was his county executive. <sighs> but you know, that's, this, this is the times that we live in right now, is that everybody thinks that everything is somebody's fault, that everything that goes wrong has to be blamed at the feet of a politician. And look, our side does it too, okay? Our side does it too. But… You know, the politics of this are far more complicated than jabroni senators on Twitter trying to, you know, make hay of it. Okay, and that, that's that's all I wanted to say about the issue. Okay, <sighs> I tell you, man, it's you know, this election, this this gubernatorial primary is just draining me. This 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 primary has just been a total. Total just mess, and it's not getting any better anytime soon. The candidates are so bad. The candidates are, are, are so lifeless. The candidates have no chance of winning, most of them even in the primary, and none of them have showed any good reason as to why they should take on Larry Hogan. It's funny. The, the Twitter reaction of, of some of these people are funny, though. They, there are some people who think that we absolutely are terrified of Ben Jealous being the Democratic nominee, which is hilarious because – the only that that's one way to ensure Republican Senate and Republican House of Delegates pickups is to nominate a communist as the, as the nominee of the Democratic Party. Please nominate this man. Nominate him, please. Um, there have been uh, there, you know, it, it, it's funny. I'm not. I'm just. I'm just freestyling at this point because you know with, we're, we're to that part of the show. I've been carrying the show by myself. Um, you know what? Let's just kind of do it. Letters from Mark, Mark, Mark. And a lot of this stuff has actually been um, been stuff from from Twitter, actually. Um, you know, where you get people um, who who think that you know who <laughs> you, you, we have we have people who who think that. Um, you know that the the Kerwin report is the greatest thing ever. People who really think that that we're really scared um, of, you know, that we're really scared of Ben Jealous being the nominee. There are people who got really mad, really mad when we start talking about pot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they they're. Mm, 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 mm. 
this was actually a yesterday thing when they started getting when they started getting bent out of shape about pot. It, it's you know you people you go after people's pot when you start telling people facts about pot about how how much of a train wreck Colorado has become, how homelessness is up, how crime is up, you know how there's no benefit to the economy of legal pot in um, you know in 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 Colorado. Um, you know, it's it's kind of amazing. It's kind of incredible. Um, you know, it, it's just kind of incredible the lengths that people will go to to defend legal pot or legalizing pot. Um, again, never mind the fact that um, never mind the fact that pot is a federal offense. Uh, you know, but every every time you know, every time some Democratic politician who has no chance of winning, like Krishna Naraja, starts trying to talk about toking up, you know, and then you get you get all these people who are just oh, it's pot, ah, ah I don't still get three percent of the vote in the polls if she's lucky. But then again, you point out all the bad things, you know, the, there are medical side effects to pot. You start pointing out all the problems that Colorado has had with pot, and they don't want to hear that. It's all la 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 la, and. Uh, <sighs> you know, I'm telling you, it just is what it is. Just is what it is, man. Um, you know what? I think we're gonna go ahead and wrap it up. There's really not a lot to talk about right now. The debate, the debate took a lot out of me, man. The debate took a lot out of me. Would have been good if Greg was here. He could have, he could have helped me through. He could have helped me through. But that sucker was working and didn't actually have to watch the debate. So that will tell you which one of us is smarter than the other one, maybe, perhaps. Yeah, I don't know. But we do want to thank you for joining us on this week's episode of Red Maryland Radio. Um, be sure to check out all the great stuff that's going on at redmaryland.com. We've got all the candidate surveys. We're starting to wrap up with the candidate surveys, but we still had new ones all this week, and uh, more will be forthcoming. Check out our Red Maryland endorsements this week. We endorsed uh, Nathan Volke for County Council in Anne Arundel County District 3 and Jessica Hare for Anne Arundel County Council in District 7. More endorsements will be coming down the pipe. Stay tuned for RedMaryland.com for all the latest and greatest information on this upcoming primary. Also, we, uh, we're aggregating it. RedMaryland.com slash 2018 primaries where you'll be able to go to get all content we have surrounding the upcoming primary. Okay? Every piece of content there's 500 some links I think on this page, okay? Broken down in easily digestible, um, easily digestible pieces. So all of that's going to be at redmaryland.com/2018primary, and that page will go live here in the next day or so. Of course, uh, as I mentioned earlier, redmaryland.com will be hosting a telephone U.S. Senate candidates debate on Thursday, June the 21st at 8 o'clock on what will be a very special edition of Red Maryland Radio. And uh, we have five of the candidates are committed to participating, including Tony Campbell, Bill Krenbeck, Evan Cronhart, Blaine Young, and Yabu, uh, Nabu Easy. And we hope that the other six candidates will also choose to participate as well. And we are really looking forward to the opportunity to have those candidates on right before the primary election. And you're not going to want to miss that. You can you can subscribe to Red Maryland Network that Red Maryland Network programming. That's easy for me to say. Uh, you can do that on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spreaker, the TuneIn Radio app, and Google Play. And by subscribing, you will have the opportunity to have every each and every 
Red Maryland Network program automatically downloaded to the device of your choice. This weekend, there'll be another new episode of Red Maryland Election Focus with Greg Klein. On Sunday night, I'm back with another brand new episode of The Air Raid here on the Red Maryland Network. Tuesdays, it's Conservative Refuge with Greg Klein. Next Thursday, Greg will be flying solo uh, on another new episode of the flagship Red Maryland Radio here on the Red Maryland Network. Again, redmaryland.com is the home base for all things Red Maryland. Click on the Support Us link. You can find ways to uh, you can find ways to be part of our street team, print some flyers, and distribute them to your to your community. You can also there's the links there to subscribe to the shows on uh, on the, the the podcast, the Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spreaker, TuneIn, uh, TuneIn Radio, TuneIn Radio, and Google Play. Also, you can subscribe to our newsletter. You can also click on our Amazon link and make your purchases using that Amazon link, and a portion of that purchase comes back to Red Maryland and help us grow and enhance the network. You can also click on the Zazzle link or go to Zazzle.com slash Red Maryland to buy your Red Maryland network gear. And, of course, there's always social Uh, and Facebook.com slash Red Maryland. We're on Twitter at Red Maryland. We're on Instagram at Red Maryland. Again, you are the force multiplier, okay? Share, invite your friends, family, neighbors, colleagues, coworkers, babysitters, whatever, to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and follow us on Instagram. And make sure that you are sharing Red Maryland Network content to your feed, to local community groups. Hell, put it on your next door page. Uh, to, to share it with members of your community. You are the force multiplier that will help people learn about in the upcoming primary elections and to help them learn about the great stuff that's going on here in Maryland conservatism. Okay? You know, we're not getting the coverage. You know, our candidates are not going to get the coverage that the Democratic candidates are getting. Our candidates are not going to get you know, fair and equitable coverage like they're going to get here at redmaryland.com, and that's what we're here for, and that's what we are going to do. You can also contact us at any time. Redmaryland at gmail.com is that email address. And you can call us on the Red Maryland Talkback line at 410-205-4875. That's 410-205-4875, and we will feature your comments on a future Red Maryland Network program. Folks, thank you very much for joining us in this week's episode of Red Maryland Radio. Thanks for suffering through. If you listen, if you watch both the debate and listen to the show on Wednesday Night Live, you get a gold star, okay? And you can get a, a laurel and hearty handshake from us. Again, Facebook.com slash Red Maryland, Twitter at Red Maryland, the home base, RedMaryland.com. For everybody here at the network, thank you very much for listening. I'm Brian Griffiths. You have been listening to Red Maryland Radio on the Red Maryland Network. Oh, radio, tell me everything you know. I like to sing with the radio. I like to play it real loud.
State University Global Campus, online education isn't another thing we do. It's all we do. Get an interactive education that's built for working adults like you and that employers demand. Explore your options at csuglobal.edu. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Oh, what a great audience. Let's dim the lights for this next one. Nope, too much. Ah, there it is. Got to get things just right. Like Progressive's Name Your Price tool. Tell us what you want to pay and we help you find coverage options that fit your budget. And now, the mood is right. Wait, the lights are back on again. Trudy, can you? And now it's completely dark. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.